Stay tuned for 10 awesome Bible verses that we can use and do use supporting our Christian faith as opposed to Mormonism or the polygamists. Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. This is part three of our three-part series, the final part of our series, where Eric Johnson of Mormonism Research Ministry explains some of the favorite verses that he likes to use from the Bible when having conversations with those of the Mormon faith. So uh, to finish this three-part series on the Bible verses, I'd like to introduce and welcome back Eric Johnson. Thanks for having me, Doris. Thanks for coming. It's so informative to have you here, and you're with the, the Mormonism Research Ministry. Uh, what, how, what's contact information, the website information? You can go to mrm.org, and uh, you can view a number of different articles, videos. We have a podcast uh, article there that has all the different podcasts. We have over 1,700 called Viewpoint on Mormonism. Bill McKeever founded the ministry back in 1979, and our main purpose is to share the truth with Latter-day Saints, as well as Christians who need mm -hmm. to know what Mormonism teaches, especially if you're going to live in the West here, where many Latter-day Saints live, to better understand where the Latter-day Saint is coming from. Mm -hmm. so we might be more effective in sharing the gospel truth with them. And that's true. And, and sometimes it's shocking to find out exactly what they do believe as opposed to when they claim it's Christian and then it really isn't a Christian belief. So on the, the MRM.org uh, website, there, are, there is an abundance. I mean, there are so many great articles about Mormonism and about Christianity and Joseph Smith and polygamy and the Bible and, and all that goes, all the foundation and so on uh, that goes with it. But uh, well, I was on there recently and I found three great articles articles that you authored. Uh, one of them, we've, we've, and we've done two shows on them, the 10 great verses of the Book of Mormon you like to use, the 10 verses of the Doctrine and Covenants you like to use, this time the 10 verses of the Bible that he likes to use. So we're going to uh, take some time and go through all of the 10 verses from the Bible you like to use as you compare them with Mormonism. And when I say Mormonism, that includes all of Mormon, all of the Mormonism and polygamists and, and um, any, any group of people that believes in the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith is a prophet and so on. Yeah, listen, these verses are made for everybody mm -hmm. and for us to be able to maybe learn what our Bible has to say, the Bible says that it does not return void. And so if you can understand instead of just saying, well, it's in there somewhere, but yeah. know the reference. I can't overemphasize how important it is that we know what our Bible says and to be able to point people there. Mm -hmm. So if they say, well, where does it say that? And it doesn't have a whole lot of credibility when you say, well, it's, well, it's in there says. somewhere, yeah. but rather point them to a verse right. and be able to support your point. There's nothing better apologetically I have found in an evangelistic situation. And it was interesting when I first started studying the Bible, it's interesting you should say that because I thought the Bible said things it didn't say. Mm -hmm. And I would always say, well, the Bible says blah. And so after I started studying the Bible for myself, found out it wasn't 
there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it is good to study. And we're going to start with Isaiah. This is one of my favorite verses as we uh, do apologetics to the Mormon faith that, that does believe in many gods, especially the polygamists do believe in that. Isaiah 43.10 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. And, and Christianity teaches that God has always been God, and it's so important we understand who God is. If you have the wrong God, you have the wrong gospel, and mm -hmm. you're headed to destruction. And so we want to know what the Bible says. The Bible says very clearly, God says that He is uh, He has always been, that there's no God before Him, there's no God after Him. Uh, and I'm going to say the Mormon God is much different than that. And so this is a great verse to support the idea that, that God was never a man. As the, um, the Lorenzo Snow couplet says, that as man is, God once was, mm -hmm. as God is, man mm -hmm. may become. This would refute that. Here's an easy way, by the way, to understand and remember where the passage is. It's in Isaiah, which is a great book anyway, and it's 43.10. And so you take, and I used to teach these verses to a lot of my students. I taught high school uh, Bible classes in Southern mm -hmm. California, and I taught them about <clears throat> 50 kinds of verses like this. So I had to have little tricks. This one is no, so it's 10, stands for no. No God before or after God. It's a great way to remember, no God before or after God. But then I, I'm going to give a bonus verse if it's that, that's okay. In Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. And the way to remember that, 4, 4, 6, 8, who do we appreciate God? So Whoa. it's no God before or after God, Isaiah 43, 10. And then Isaiah 44, 6 and 8 says, it says God knows of no other gods. Yeah. Uh, I, my students within two minutes would memorize yeah. that, learn mm -hmm. it for a test, and they would learn many others. But if you right. can learn those, go to Isaiah 43 and 44 Actually, and show a lot of these things. 43 through 46 is good. has uh, an abundance of verses over and over again. He says, there's only one God. I am your God. I am your Savior. I am your Savior. There's no other God. I don't know of any other God. Name yeah. one other God. It, it, just over and over again in those verses. How many times does he have to say that? Good point. Yeah. Good point. Okay, the second verse is in Psalm 90, verse 2, which says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Well, the idea that God is from everlasting to everlasting is a biblical truth. And as we said in a previous show with the Book of Mormon in Moroni 8.18, that God is from everlasting to everlasting. Mm -hmm. So if the scripture says that God has always been God, there's no God before or after him, and he's from everlasting to everlasting, that is infinity past to infinity future. And I know right. that's a mystery, but at the, according to the Bible, in the beginning, God created. He was God there. was in the beginning. He, uh, everything that has a begin, um, everything that has a beginning has a cause. The universe has a uh, beginning, therefore the universe has a cause. It's mm -hmm. an easy syllogism to remember. And where did God come from? People ask. Well, God has always been. been he came right. out of his element to create time. However that happened, that's a mystery, of course. But the idea that God has always been God is a biblical truth. It is a, a biblical truth. And actually, there are not very many religions that pseudo-Christian religions on the planet that 
believe that there are many gods like the Mormons do, that man can become God That's and that there's teaching. millions and millions of gods and you have to be married and all this other stuff to become a god. Uh, so that's unique too. And yet, and, and I've talked to Mormons who have come out of Mormonism and polygamists that uh, begin to do the study themselves and they're shocked that other people don't believe what they believe mm -hmm. because they think it's a universal truth and it's not. No, it's not. Okay, uh, number three, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is known in the Hebrew scripture as the Shema. And uh, it, when it says that, the, that God is one Lord, it's his nature. Mm -hmm. God's nature is only one. And Jesus cites this in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, mm -hmm. when he's asked which of the commandments is the greatest. Before he answers the question, Jesus cites from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Jesus believed there was only one God. Right. And he said that, uh, um, well, he cited this passage before he said that you're supposed to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that summarizes, he says, the whole mm -hmm. law. But notice that Jesus had to say that. And yet, it's interesting. Jesus claimed to be God right. many different times. I mean, John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning uh, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word, the Word was, was God. God. He created all things according to John 1, 3. And, uh, and we, we have so many different passages that help support that. But this idea of one Lord is both old and it's also New Testament. And verified by Jesus. Absolutely. Which is very important because if you believe in Jesus and if you call yourself a church that believes in Jesus, then you need to believe what he said. Right. Exactly. Amen. Okay, John eight fifty eight, And this just builds. We're just building on this same topic with this verse as well. John eight fifty eight says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. And Jesus here is the second person in the Trinity. Right. We hold that, as I was saying earlier, the Bible's clear that he was God. And so he, when he says this to the Jewish leaders, they did not like it at all. In fact, a number of times they, they knew what he was claiming to be they God. Did. They picked up stones to, to stone him, him. Mm -hmm. because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Right. What is Jesus referring to here? He's going back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses says, who shall I say sent me to Pharaoh, then God says, tell them I am who I am. And in the Greek, that's ego a me. Mm. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the word ego a me is found there. So the Jewish leaders knew their Old Testament scriptures. They yeah, knew what Jesus yeah. was claiming for exactly. himself. So I, I like to point out that Jesus is not just a God. Uh, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would also say, and the Mormons would say, he's not the God in the sense that Heavenly Father is. But Jesus claimed that he was God. And he also said in John chapter 8 that if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, mm -hmm. you will die in your sins and where I go you cannot come. It's a pretty big claim, isn't it? It's a big claim and it's a a huge detriment not to believe that he is the one and only God. So either Jesus is, as it's been said, Lord, liar, or lunatic. The Great right. Trilemma by C.S. Lewis. And yeah. You can't just call him a good teacher. Right. Because a good teacher who is not telling the truth should not be considered or good. Or just one of many gods. Right. 
Well, I don't want to go there. It'll take too long. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to number five, Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I love this verse mm -hmm. because this is why Jesus came. And I don't think most Latter-day Saints understand this. Even though Jesus Christ is in the church's name, I understand that they do believe in Jesus, of course. The question is, which Jesus do they believe in? But what is the purpose of Jesus? And the purpose of Jesus was he came here to save people from oh, their yes, sins. And if you read the book of Hebrews, the whole book is talking about how he offered himself as a sacrifice. He was the great high priest, a Melchizedek priest, if right. you will, the only one who ever was. And it says that he, he paid the price in blood so that our sins might be forgiven. How might it be forgiven? Well, go to the end of chapter 10, and it says, by faith. It's mm -hmm. through faith. In fact, mm -hmm. chapter 11 then goes and talks about how all of the Old Testament saints were saved by faith. So I like to use this because so often I think the Mormons and the polygamists and others who claim to be Christian do not have the proper understanding of who Jesus really was. And, and I would agree. And again, this is building on what we have already spoken about. Um, Je the name Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Joshua. Right. And they had definition or they had meanings yeah, in their did. names. And the Joshua meaning of Joshua was God is my salvation. Isn't that great? So if Jesus means, and Emmanuel, God is with us, right. and God is my salvation, and Jesus is the Savior, again, we, we come right back, circle around the the whole thing, Jesus Christ is God, and only God saves us. And that's the purpose of why we do what we do. Because exactly. we want people to understand that there is good news. What's the good news? Not that I can somehow earn my salvation, exactly. that's but not that good news. somebody came and imputed his righteousness, God's righteousness, to me through faith alone. And so he did fides. it for me. He did it for he me. He did. And only God could have done that for not only for me, but for Everybody. Yeah. Only God could do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next one is Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Yeah, and, and we have to understand that justification is the, the idea that through faith we receive salvation, that we have a relationship with Jesus. And sanctification then is living out that faith with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians 2.12. So for this verse, I've mentioned Hebrews before. It's a very important book. Mm -hmm. I think if you're somebody who has just left Mormonism or if you're thinking about leaving Mormonism, I think the two greatest books you can read would be Romans and Hebrews because Hebrews just takes the whole concept of being able to do anything on your own about being worthy in any kind of way. And it shows that you don't have it, but Jesus does. And so mm -hmm. he did it mm -hmm. through one he offering yeah. on the cross. And as I mentioned, the very last verse of Hebrews chapter 10 says that we are saved by faith. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then he supports that case. And that's why I just, I love taking people to this passage. And, and on top of the, on, well, another verse that builds on that is um, uh, Genesis uh, 17, 6, or 15, 6, where it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him for righteousness. And the Romans the quotes that. Belief, yeah. yeah, Romans does quote it. Yeah. And, and, and that, so it's just, it's belief. God just wants us to believe him. That's it. He just wants us to believe in who he is and his integrity. That's it. Let him work in you right. after you receive the salvation. But 
but don't try to put the cart before the horse right. and try to conjure up your righteousness. And I think that's why so many Latter-day Saints are depressed. They know they're not doing what they're supposed to do, and there's no hope. And they don't know how. Yeah, there's no hope. They don't know how to to get out of that. Okay. Um, this is my favorite verse. These are the two verses that brought me into God's kingdom. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, that not of works, lest any man should boast. And let me say, when you're raised in a religion that works is everything, and you read a verse like this, and God's already showing you the truth of that verse, mm -hmm. it is the most amazing thing. To read. But when I use this verse with people, Doris, you know what I get as a response? They'll come back with another verse. James. James chapter 2, <laughs> verse 20. Yes. But isn't, you know, faith, uh, you, you know, faith is not by itself that we need to have the works. They, right. they, they cite that. Mm -hmm. And then I like to use the next verse. I didn't put it in verse here. 10, right. But verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship created by Christ Jesus to do good do works, good which works. he prepared in advance for us to do. I think if we understand that verse is there, right after he just got done saying it's not by works, and yet we are his workmanship. That's what to we do. call sanctification. Mm -hmm. We are created to do that, but that's not earning you what has been put into your bank account, so to speak. The imputed exactly. righteousness he put in, and then that is the result. And then we work it out. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we talk about the Bible interpreting itself, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, and that's exactly what you do with verse 10 in Ephesians with James. Right. You just put the Scriptures together, and you've got the picture. you got the complete picture. Yeah, so when a, a, a Latter-day Saint says, faith without works is dead, cites that verse. In fact, I always like to try to quote that before they do, but if they get to me first, I say, well, I agree with James. Yeah. And then I'll take them here and I'll say, look at verse 10, but this is what the Bible says. We're yeah. saved by grace. It's not based on what you do. If you works. understand this, your whole life gets changed like your life got changed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's amazing. The next one, again, builds on the, the same doctrine we're talking about in Titus. Uh, which says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now look at that. Not by, by works. works of righteousness, <laughs> which we have done, but by his mercy. Right. We need to understand mercy is a little different than the word grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Mm -hmm. We deserve punishment. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned mm -hmm. and have fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says the, the, the wages of sin is death. So we understand then, according to the Bible, that we are in trouble. We've got bad news, but it's good to have bad news. You want the doctor to tell you that you have cancer. If you have cancer, if you, you don't want him yeah. lying to you yeah. and saying you don't have it, and then two years later, you're gone. At least you can do something about it. If you understand this, and, and then it goes on in verse 7. I don't have it in this passage, but if you go on, it says that we're justified by his grace. We have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is something, Doris, I have found that no polygamist nor any Latter-day Saint has a hope 
of eternal life because they know they have fallen short. They're not doing what their church says they're supposed to do. They fail at so many different things and that they are destined not for the celestial kingdom, but for the terrestrial kingdom. And the Bible is so different. It says it's through his mercy. It's through his grace, as we just read in Ephesians 2, 8, mm -hmm. 9. And then if you're justified by his grace, then you're already an heir of salvation. Let me, I, I, there's a couple of things I'd like to quickly bring up. For, the first one is a, a supporting verse from Isaiah mm -hmm. chapter 64, verse 6, where it says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So Titus says, not because of your righteousness that you've done, but by his mercy and, and, and by his grace we are saved. Uh, Isaiah, not by any, our righteous acts are filthy rags to God. So let's not try to be righteous and present them to God. They're, well, and, and he, we see that in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus yeah. says that there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, look at all the good things I've done. And Jesus says, oh, welcome to my kingdom? No. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. And then um, when we depend upon keeping commandments, our, our, our focus is on us mm -hmm. or on each other. Are you keeping the commandments? So it's all either on us or ourselves. And it just completely takes it off of Jesus and of God. You know, it just, it's an empty religion in that way. And again, it's its a not one that doesn't have the power to do what God wants to do in each one of us through His grace. Define biblical grace versus Mormon grace. Just the, the short definition. And biblical salvation versus Mormonism salvation. Well, real quickly, grace for the Christian is all that we need to be able to be forgiven of our sins, and there's nothing we can do to add on to it. Where Mormonism says in 2 Nephi 25, 23 in the Book of Mormon, we're saved by grace after all we can do. So that's not grace. Grace is... Nope. Nothing we can do. Right, absolutely. That's what uh, we just said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's right. not by works. Right. And so the difference between the Christian salvation and the Latter-day Saint salvation, well, you have to understand what salvation means. You have to know what the, uh, what the meaning is when they say salvation. Right. Are they talking general resurrection from the dead because you were obedient in the preexistence and you get one of three kingdoms? Or are they talking about individual salvation, as Joseph Fielding Smith put it, where you only receive that through keeping commandments, mm -hmm. and that is exaltation or eternal life. Mm -hmm. That's where you'll get to go mm -hmm. to the celestial kingdom. So, so these general, are big differences. Yeah, general salvation to the Mormon is resurrection. That's all it is. And, and in fact, McConkie wrote, there will be many who will be saved to be damned. Yeah. Now that's Mormon Theology. Yeah, it is. That's not biblical theology. No, it's not. By any means. Yeah. Okay, thank you. We go, we'll go to Romans 3, 28 now, where it says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And uh, you, these are my ten favorites. You see that I'm dealing mainly with who is God mm -hmm. and what is salvation. What because is salvation? these are the most important issues. I don't like to get into side issues when I'm talking to somebody. I want to get to the heart of the issue, especially if that is the only time I might get to speak to them. Right. And so I say here, I, I show them that we are justified by faith. And in fact, Joseph Smith in his translation, the Joseph Smith inspired version, he added the word alone in there. By faith alone, there's no Greek 
uh, evidence that that word alone is in there, but I don't mind it. It actually is probably a pretty accurate without, though, the deeds of law. It makes sense that it would be only through faith and not through anything you do, which is supported in the other verses I've listed here. Right. And then, of course, in Galatians, uh, in 2.20, where he talks about being saved uh, through if, uh, Jesus being our only Savior, and if, and if we could be justified by the works of the law, Jesus died in vain. Absolutely right. And, and, and why did he die on the cross for our sins yeah. if we have to work them out uh, for our own forgiveness ourselves? Yeah, it doesn't make any biblical sense to put the onus on the back of the people like the Mormon leaders mm -hmm. are telling them that they have to do this, they have to do that. And one of the frustrating things for me, Doris, is that the Mormon leadership makes it look like they've already somehow arrived. Mm -hmm. And you know they haven't. Mm -hmm. And the poor people at General Conference twice a year are being told, do this, do that. It's uh, kicking the tail speeches that, mm -hmm. uh, the, and, and so the poor Latter-day Saints can never feel like they have true forgiveness of their sins. And mm -hmm. that's, that's sad because it it's available to them. It is sad. And that's why we have such joyous worship services is because we know mm -hmm. where we stand with God and they unfortunately just have to keep on working. Yeah, First John 5.13 would support that idea that we may know we may that know we have eternal that we life. we have eternal life. What hope is that? That was a wonderful verse for me as well. Yeah. Jeremiah 17.9 is his final verse. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the idea for the Latter-day Saint, they use Moroni 10, 4 and 5, that we're supposed to pray and that God will give us this, uh, this feeling. Joseph Smith supposedly used James 1, 5 to, to get that idea. And the Bible says, don't trust your feelings. Because, right. in fact, Bill Bright in The Four Spiritual Laws, I don't know if you've ever seen mm -hmm. his train, and he has yeah. facts, faith, and feelings. And so often people want to put the feelings at the very front, and Bill Bright says no, yeah. because that's the caboose. Have it in the back. Feelings are fine, but you got to have your facts, and then you have to have the faith. The faith is based on the, the evidence. Facts, where does absolutely. it where does it lead you to? Where does the where does the evidence go so you can have a reasonable faith? And then feelings, but you can't depend on feelings no, alone. And in Proverbs twenty eight twenty six, uh, it says, "He that trust, trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Yeah. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered." And you know, I I, I talk to people. I'm sure you do too, many many times, where they say, uh, "Trust your heart." Go with your feelings, right. you know, and, and it's the very thing we shouldn't do because our heart doesn't hold the facts. No. Our heart doesn't hold uh, the answers. It's misled me many times. Yeah, yeah. Um, but God has, of course, in His grace, uh, when He brings us, and, and, and regeneration is what the Bible calls it, when we do accept Christ and we do become Christian, then He puts, gives us a new heart. And with that new heart then comes the desire to know Him and learn about Him. And then we can trust what God is teaching us because we have that new heart for God Amen. and for the truth. Well, that covers our 10 verses. That's, that's uh, you know, we went through some of them pretty fast in these past three shows, and some of them we were able to take a little more leisurely. But there's many, many good verses. You just picked 10, and that would be a hard job to pick just 10. But, but I cheated because I got to throw some other ones in there throughout <laughs> our conversation. So there are probably more like 20 in there now. <laughs> yeah, and I threw in a few myself. But we, we appreciate you coming and sharing this and for the articles. Go to mrm.org, and you'll find some great information as you 
uh, look into your Mormon faith or your polygamous faith. Uh, you know, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, God testifies that His Word will endure forever. And Proverbs 30, verse 5 tells us that His Word is pure. It is flawless. Before Mormonism ever existed to declare that the Bible was wrong, God reassured mankind that despite a changing world and its ideas and politics and morality that we can trust that neither God or His Word will change. And God has kept His promise. We can trust it and use it to discover the veracity of all the claims made by religions and by religious people. And that's what we do. We do this show to bring forth the truths of God. We compare Mormonism's claims with God's truths. Mormonism comes up short every time. And we continue to encourage our viewers to check out what you've been taught and see if it's true. Thank you. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.